Today's reading in the New Testament is from the book of Hebrews. It's in chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. And you can find it on page 1007 in the Pew Bible. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Oh, I neglected. I wanted to say to you a little while ago, what a blessing the month of uh, October was for my family and I. Uh, You wouldn't believe the just creative ways that people bless us. And, and it's, um, it was Pastor Appreciation Week, which I'm always a little, un- or month, I'm a, always a little uncomfortable with that because, because you're all pastors. And I, I, um, I'm one of myriad women and men who love and lead others into deeper relationship with Jesus. But I just wanted you to know we appreciate you. And, um, and we're so blessed. Just wonderful expressions, really creative expressions of love. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. We, um, we live in, a, in an interesting society, don't we? Um, I was watching, um, I, I don't know him, so I'm, I'm a little frightened to say his name because I don't know what else he's said. All I've seen from Simon Sinek was an interesting little um, video on, on uh, trying to understand millennials. And, uh, and he talked uh, in depth about how, um, how we live in a society that has made it so, everything so easy that, um, that, that we don't know how to handle adversity when it happens. Um, we are amazingly blessed, amen? And, and uh, it's easy to lose track of when I just click on my phone and, and something that I want arrives the next day at the church. I haven't figured that out yet. I don't know if they bring in those little things and drop the thing. I'm not sure how they do it. But um, I get this instant gratification, right? If, I, if I'm hungry, I get fast food. If I, if I want a book, I, I click something and, and it's there. Um, I live in this thing where constantly my needs are being met. And so when I come to something that I can't click away, 
like the events at Pittsburgh, right? When I can't just click it and make it better, I, I find myself um, uh, feeling helpless. And, I, and I'm wondering if we as a culture haven't created a monster that in ourselves and in others that um, because things are so easily gotten for ourselves, we forget that there are some things that only come by deep introspection. There's only some, some transformations that only happen by, by a long obedience. How did Eugene Peterson put it? A long obedience in the same direction, right? There's some things that aren't instantaneous, but they're worth, they're worth waiting for. They're worth hoping for. So I love this scripture as we, this week, say, how can we become a part of the solution rather than the problem? How can we uh, be an encouraging community where, where people are pieced back together, where, where people are strengthened as, as we ask ourselves those hard questions? I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that not everything is a click away. That Jesus has another way. But one of the problems with an instant um, society is that, that we go directly for the fix-it. You want to know how to drive a guy crazy, by the way? Um, tell him a problem that he can't fix right away, right? Got some engineers in the back of the room shaking their heads. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, we just want to fix it. So, so if you come to us and, and say, my heart is broken, then we want to fix it, Right? But I'm sorry, I, I can't overcome a madman with a gun in Pittsburgh. I can't fix that. And it's good. It's good because it makes me draw near to the one who can. It makes me turn to the, the only one who really can fix those things. But we still constantly go back to, well, give me an instant fix, right? Um, the emphasis is on pragmatics. Tell me what works. How do I improve my marriage? I want to improve it by tomorrow, right? How do I raise my kids? I want to have, I want to have instant kids tomorrow. How, how can I maximize my potential? I'm using buzzwords here. On the job, right? Uh, how can I be the best employee by tomorrow? Don't don't speak to me of eternal truth. Just tell me how to fix it. Right? I want to know what works. I love, I love the Word of God, though, because it, it has both. It gives us very practical ways that we, before we leave this room today, can, can begin this process of transformation. But what I really love about it is that it also gives us the deeper truths behind those fixes. Because, because if we focus just on what works in this situation, tomorrow we'll have a situation we can't fix. But the Bible talks about both doctrine and deeds. What we believe, right, impacts how we behave. In fact, um, Randy Frazee, uh, 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 an author I really enjoy, a pastor in Texas, connects the dots. He says, what you believe uh, affects um, who you are, your virtue, right? And, and and who you are affects how you behave. So if you see a behavior problem, and we can see them all around us, right? Probably there's a virtue problem. If you see a virtue problem that someone doesn't have an understanding of 
how their actions impact someone else, then probably there's a fundamental belief problem. But it's interesting, when you start becoming aware of it, you realize in book after book in the New Testament that then the author, well, think about Ephesians. Paul will spend the first three chapters of Ephesians talking about profound truths. More glorious than I can wrap my brain around. But then he spends the last three chapters talking about the application of those truths. Paul does the same thing in Romans. He spends the first 11 chapters, if you've ever slogged your way through the first 11 chapters of Romans, there's some incredible insights, but there's some deep, deep uh, truth there that's hard to wrap our brains around. And then, and then in Romans 12, 1, he, he, he flips it. So, so I, I beg you by the mercies of God, let's put this into practice. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, he says, holy and pleasing to God. So in book after book, you see both truth and practice, right? You see both these applications. And it's important. It's important for us that we understand who God is. You already wrote that in the slot. I know you did. Who we are, Right? And what God has done for us. By the way, that's just a, that's just a, a, a simple Bible study technique. What does it say about God? The passage that we just read. What does it say about us? What does it say about the relationship between God and us? Understanding our position, and especially from our, from our passage today, understanding our position in Christ is the basis of our practice in, in daily life. And the author of the book of Hebrews, our book that we're studying today, follows this same pattern. Let me just draw a schematic for a second. In the first four chapters, he demonstrates how Jesus is superior to every other possible institution or person, right? He's superior to all in his person. And he uses myriad examples, right? And then he kind of summarizes it in an amazingly similar passage in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Our, uh, 16 is our memory verse today. He says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. In our memory verse for today, he says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help to help us in our time of need. So from one to four, he kind of talks about Christ's person. From five through ten, he shows us how Christ is superior in his priesthood. We'll unpack this in just a second. But beginning in our passage today, he flips it. And, and all the way to the end of the book of Hebrews, he, he says, based on the truths that we have understood, this is what life will look like. This is how to have enduring faith, even in the midst of untold wickedness and brokenness, right? Even in the face of trials, he shows us how to put our new position in Christ into practice. Let me just summarize the whole message today by this statement. Because of our new relationship with God 
through Christ, we can and even must draw near to God in faith. Holding fast to the confession of our hope and considering how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You see what the author of the book of Hebrews is doing? They're flipping it. They're saying, here's all this truth about who Jesus is. This is what it looks like in your life. So in 10, 19-21, he summarizes our position with a couple of truths. Then in 22-25, to he shows us how that position kind of affects our daily practice. And what I love about the author here, and we don't know who it is, um, the author of the book of Hebrews is that, is that they identify with us, right? They include us. He addresses them as brethren. He includes himself. I say, I'm going to use him because I, we don't know whether it's him or her. I'm going to use him in, to, uh, he includes himself in the first person plural. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider. Oh God, help us, would you? To hear the words coming 2,000 years uh, through the body of Christ to us today. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable to you. And God, that you would help us to put them into practice today. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, what we talked about how Christ's position is critically important. What's our position, right? What is our position? We, the author of the book of Hebrews is saying, we have a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, as a result of these first ten chapters of truth, right, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by this new and living way that He opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, He's laying a foundation. We uh, have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. What's the name again of the book that we're studying right here today? What's the name of it? Hebrews, right? He's speaking to Hebrews. It's kind of important because Paul, whose primary call was to Gentile, uses different imagery. He understood this imagery, but, but, but the author here is speaking to Hebrews who were used to the temple, to going to the house of God and, and, and somehow if they were a Gentile being stuck in the back, if they were a woman being able to go one more row in, if they were a man being able to go even closer, but none of them able to come into the Holy of Holies. They understood that none of them, even the high priest was not worthy to go in there. They would tie a rope around his leg. He would go in once a year to tend to the holy place. Now, the author of the book of Hebrews is saying, we can enter the very presence of God. You can enter into the very presence of God. What in the world would give us that confidence, right? What in the world would give us that confidence, Jesus, Jesus has gone before us. In amazing imagery, he describes Jesus as the one who was worthy to go into that holy of holies. What made him worthy? That he offered himself in our place, right? He gave his very life for us. And, and by his blood, 
The life is in the blood. By His blood, we were made worthy to enter into the very presence of God. If you are, are one who's vulnerable to self-condemnation, and, and I understand it here. I mess up. I caught myself that time. Didn't use the word I was going to use. I want credit. Um, I mess up on a regular basis, right? If my value before God is based on the frequency of my messing up, right? Then there's no way in the world that I or any other person is able to come in. But Jesus was worthy. He was worthy to go in. And, and because He tore the veil, when he, when he died on our behalf, the veil was torn between the holy place and the holy of holies. And the, in the holy of holies was the mercy seat of God. And, and for the first time in human history, you and I could, could directly approach the presence of God through Jesus. Through Jesus, right? Based on our confidence, our, our confidence is based on nothing in and of ourselves. It's by the blood of Jesus. The blood represented the life, right? Uh, Hebrews 9.22 says, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. It doesn't make sense to us in our antiseptic culture. Blood doesn't clean anything, does it? Um, um, but, but the life is in the blood. And when the blood is offered, then that shedding of blood provides the forgiveness that you and I need to enter the presence of God. So His shed blood satisfied the justice of God. And enabled us to be in relationship with God. It's interesting that in 1020, the author elaborates on another way um, an, uh, that we approach God through this blood. He calls it a new and living way. And that's also beautiful. I, one of my early memory scriptures was one of these. And, and, and the new and living way sounds so, so beautiful. But that word new right there is actually a very specific term. And it meant freshly slain. Are you ready for that? How do you get... Um, I want to buy a new car, right? Um, I want a freshly slain car, please, right? You see how sometimes in our English translations of the Bible, we miss something. The new way that God provided was by the freshly slain blood of the Lamb. Do you remember in Revelation when everyone was weeping because there was nobody who was considered worthy to open the scroll of God. And then John says, and then I saw a lamb looking like he was, guess what? Freshly slain, right? And the elders all fell down on their knees and worshipped and said, worthy is the lamb who was slain for us, right? So in speaking to the Hebrews, this author is, is saying there is a way made for us and it came by the freshly slain Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And, and that Lamb who was slain for us lives. That Lamb is alive for us today. He's risen from the dead. He broke the power of death. He broke the power of disease. He broke the power of sin. So stop judging yourself when God has made a way. And gently receive that way. Gently receive that way.
But secondly, he says, not only did Jesus do it for us once for all, it's important, once for all, since past, present, and future, but right now he's still, he's still interceding for us. The, the Hebrew term for that is this priest, right? We have a great high priest who's over the house of God, and he's still interceding for us today. So, so not only do we have a new position with God through Jesus Christ, but we also have someone who's still interceding for us, who's sitting at the right hand of God, crying out for you, crying out for me. Some powerful truths. Truths are important. We have a new position. We have a great high priest. But what about our practice, right? Earlier in, in Hebrews, the author brought together the beautiful trilogy of virtues, faith, hope, and, and love. And now, in thinking about what does this look like when he put it into practice, he, he revisits those three things. He says, we need to draw near to God in faith. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. You'd be proud of me. I took this section out of the message because there's four powerful ways that, that we are enabled to draw near to God worthy of of your study. But let me just summarize by, by saying they provide a way for us to draw near to God. Having a clean heart, sprinkled clean by the blood of Christ, bodies washed in baptism with pure water, right? The exhortation. Exhortation is a, is a beautiful expression of command. The command of God is draw near. Draw near to God. The second, he says, hold fast. Hold fast to the confession of your hope. Draw near in faith. Faith, right? Hold fast to the confession of your hope. There's your hope, right? Hope just simply refers to that future, that beautiful future that you have through Christ that hope of your salvation. The confession is simply you're verbalizing that hope that you have. How can you possibly, in light of all that's broken in our world, how can you possibly hold on to hope? You gotta tell them. You gotta speak. You gotta use words. No, it's nothing of myself because of my Savior Jesus. Therefore, I have hope. But, but the command here is not to have hope. He's going to assume that. The command here is to hold fast to it. How do we say in the Bible study? White knuckle grip, right? Everything in your flesh, everything in the world around you, everything, everything that the evil one intends is to pry your grip off of this confession of your hope. It comes in so many ways, doesn't it? The simplest way in Corinthians, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's a confession of hope. How do the Catholics um, do it? It's beautiful. They, they say, Christ has died. Hallelujah, right? Christ has risen. Hallelujah, right? Christ will come again. Hallelujah, right? The confession 
of our hope. Hold fast to that. No matter, no matter how ugly the world gets, in spite of the ugliness of our world, we've still been very blessed. We have been very blessed. We have had freedom to believe whatever we want to believe. Beloved, that will not always be so. There will come a day when, when uh, should the Lord tarry, when we won't have that luxury, when we will experience what much of Christianity experiences throughout the world. What are you going to hold on to when that happens? Who are you going to hold on to when that happens, right? Christ has died. Christ has risen. Hallelujah. Christ is coming again. Hallelujah. Because of our new position in Christ, we draw near. We enter the Holy of Holies. Because of our new position in Christ, we hold fast to this hope that He has given. But but here, Paul also gives us a really practical command. He says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. All throughout Scripture, we're called to love and good deeds. In fact, the tension, the juxtaposition of those two things together is a, is a, powerful, is a powerful truth as you wrap your brain around it here. But, but, but here, the command is assumed that you will, that you will love and you will, you will do things that reflect that love. Here, he's saying, I want you to, I want you to think about, I want you to consider how you can, what was the word? provoke, right? How you can, it's actually, the word there is actual provoke. In English, again, we kind of clean things up. We thought, well, every other use of the word provoke is in a negative sense. Don't provoke each other to anger. Paul's turning it on his head. He's saying, you're really good at provoking one another to anger. Let's flip it. Let's provoke one another. Let's, let's prod one another. Let's encourage one another to love and good deeds as well, right? It's easy to flip to the to the to the the way that we do that. We do that by meeting together. And I'm preaching to the choir here because you're here in this room, right? But but I just want to I want you to understand the truth behind there's something beautiful that happens when the body of Christ gets together in myriad forms, right? When he gets together for corporate worship, there's something that happens. In fact, Cheryl had a Dickens own time trying to get you to stop encouraging one another, you know, so that we could come back to where there's something beautiful that happens when you get in proximity with other people who are on fire for Jesus. And, 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 and Paul's saying, let's consider how to do that. It happens in corporate worship, but it also happens in, in smaller settings, in small groups in your homes and, and in Sunday school classes. When, when you finally put yourself enough in proximity to, to really get to know someone, you find out how you can provoke someone. I'm not going to name names, but, but in the youth group um, last week, um, one, of the, one of the staff um, thoughtfully thought about what each kid would be blessed by. What was their favorite candy bar, right? And, and went out and had searched the town to find their favorite candy bar. I wish I would have said something like a grand candy bar, but, when he, but, um, but it, was just, it was just thoughtful. He said, how can, I, how can I encourage these kids, right? Um, Paul, or excuse me, the author of the book of Hebrews says, let's, let's consider, let's meditate on, let's think really creatively. How did the message put it? Let's be inventive. Let's be inventive in the way that we provoke one another to love 
and good deeds. Not in a negative sense, but, but in a positive sense. The author is saying that Jesus has made a new way for us. He's made a way for us to encourage one another, to bless one another. If, if we have this amazing opportunity to, um, to encourage one another, to draw near, if we have this amazing opportunity to hold fast, what's the implications for us? Where do we go from here? I want to just note there some, some important implications. If this is true, then you are your brother's keeper. Do you remember that? When, when um, Cain had murdered his brother and, and, and was asked about that, he said, am I my brother's keeper, right? Am I my brother's keeper? Well, the answer was yes, you are. Um, God says, I, I put you intentionally to reflect me in the world and I live in community. You live in community Encourage one another to draw near. Thank you, worship team. I love our worship team. And they just encourage me so much to draw near to Jesus. But we're responsible for one another. And, and, and you are given this privilege of, of being responsible for your brother and your sister. Let's watch out for each other. But also, as we hinted at a minute ago, you in order to, to really love someone, you have to know them, right? You must know one another and that knowledge has to go beyond the superficial level. Why do I resist that? Because um, I'm afraid that if you really know me, you won't love me, right? And that, that's a real fear. Um, so I'd rather put on a front that um, makes me think that you will love me, right? Then really let you see who I am. But here's the problem. If I put on a front and you love that front, then you haven't really loved me, right? And I know that. But if I risk letting you know me and all my warts and ugliness, if I risk letting you know me, when, if and when, and it's an if, if you love me in that brokenness, it's me that you're loving, Right? Um, I know that that's frightening. But the great gift of Christian community is that you can let people know you and they, through Jesus, will love you exactly as you are. And I don't know about you, but I would much rather be a community of broken vessels than a community of practically perfect people, right? Because um, I'm broken. And I want to know that you understand my brokenness. You must know one another more than on a superficial level. And, and if we're going to do this, if we're going to provoke one another to love and good deeds, it's going to take a deliberate focus. It's going to take thinking about it, considering it. It's going to, it's going to take um, going out of my way. And I'm so bad at this. And, and you're so good at this. And I, again, I'm, uh, I, the last month has been just an expression of that to me in so many ways. But, but you, you thought creatively how to do it and you focused on it and you blessed Karen and I. The great invitation of God is for you to, to focus on encouragement. 
That way that anybody who comes into our doors would, would sense the presence of Christ because we draw near to him, right? Would, would find truth because we hold tightly the confession of our faith, right? But that also would feel amazingly encouraged because someone walked alongside them who wasn't perfect, but who had learned how to love in Jesus' name. I just want to, I just want to encourage you. Where, where do you need encouragement today? What do you most need to put into practice from these amazing words? I didn't mention it, but these words were spoken in the midst of intense suffering by the people of God. Um, it was a time of amazing persecution, right? Um, where do you, in the midst of your brokenness, most need to apply this author's or God's words of encouragement? Do you need to rethink your commitment to covenant community? Most of us dabble in community, right? We go because there's something that we want or something we need from community. And we forget that we are uniquely gifted to love in the midst of that community. And people need us. People need us to be present. People need us to use our gifts. People need us to speak words of encouragement. Do you need to rethink your commitment to covenant community? Take a step. How about, do you need to reevaluate what you believe and or confess? Because everything in the world around us says that you're foolish for believing what you do. Um, and it's really easy to weaken. It's easier when you see uh, your own brokenness. It's easier to change what you believe than to change the, uh, the actions that led to your brokenness. Oh, I'm, I want to invite you. If you're having a, um, a practice problem, um, rethink what you believe. Rethink who or whose you are. And lastly, no matter where you are, how much time are you spending with the God who tore the veil through the body of Jesus Christ to invite you into His presence? How much time are you spending with Him? How much dependence are you putting on the Holy Spirit who lives in you? How much are you casting yourself on the mercy of God? Draw near. Draw near to God and find help in your time of need. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you so much for Jesus. Not only did he provide a way for us, but as the sign down the street says, he not only provided, but he became the provision. God, help us to draw near to you through Jesus today. And God, for those who are, who are wanting and wondering, is there something wrong with me that I don't, sense or feel this. God, I pray that you would tear the veil again that covers our hearts. Allow us to gaze upon your beauty. Allow us to take those baby steps of faith toward you rather than away from you so that, God, we might experience all that you intended for us. Jesus, help us to put our trust in you and you alone and through you to draw near to God. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with us? Our closing hymn.